Now, Father, again, we truly thank you that no matter what season we seem to be going through in planet Earth, that you, your love, your truth remains the same. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Father, that we're found standing in your grace, and your grace alone is what keeps us. So this morning, Father, as we look into some more of your word, your truth, your truth, your truth, that we will have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would speak to each of us individually. I truly pray that, Father. Please open the heart, open the eyes, rather, of our understanding. Truly flood our hearts with your light so that we can see more and more of your eternal truth, that we might walk far more upright before you. In the holy name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. And again, I submit myself to you. I yield myself to you, Holy Spirit, as much as I understand how to. And I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your wisdom as we look into your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Like I said, this is the eighth session we're doing on the Love Walk, and we're going to uh, take off where we left off, as it were, the last time we spoke. And uh, I want you to turn to 1 John 3 again. Again, I read all this from the Amplified Bible. And today, the basic topic is going to be just some of what Scripture says about the danger of strife. Uh, uh, everybody knows what strife is. It's when there's just this indignation between you and your fellow man. Uh, we could define it many, many ways, but one thing is absolutely true, and that is that the scripture says over and over again that strife will actually kill faith. Strife will totally dispermit, as it were, the strength of your prayer life. It's something, again, like we mentioned last time about if you know when you come to God, when you come to the altar, when you come to church, and if you realize you've got ought, you've got something in your heart against the brother, he says, just forget it. Leave your offering there. Don't, don't even attempt to do something that's quote-unquote spiritual. But go and do your best to make it right with your brother. Now really think about how profound and deep that is. God is saying so clearly, you must understand if that kind of stuff is in your spirit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a problem between heaven relating to you on this earth. It's going to cause a great divide between what you would hope for in your life and to what God can actually do. Strife and ill will and bitterness, unforgiveness is literally, it's a, it's a blockage in the great fountain of God's desire to bless us. And this is why I've, I've said it over and over again, and I'll say it again this time. You, it's not that we don't get upset, but we train ourselves to immediately not stay upset. In other words, we choose to forgive not based upon how we feel. We choose to let things go, not based upon who's right and who's wrong. Again, Romans says, as much as it depends upon you, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. In other words, you do what's right. You do what's right regardless of someone else. You're not responsible for somebody else's reaction or response, but you are responsible for your own. It's just powerful. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. I'm going to start from there, and we're going to read about 
12 verses here in this. John says, for this is the message. This is the message. This is the message. A lot of people want to know. They say, well, what is the main thrust of Scripture? Well, it's right here. For this is the message, the announcement which you have heard from the first, that we should love one another. And remember, this is agape, or agape. However you want to pronounce it, I do not care. I just want you to get the truth of it. A brand new kind of love. A love that comes from heaven. It's a supernatural because it comes from God Almighty because he is love. It's supernatural. It's not natural. It has nothing to do. You cannot define the love of God with natural terms. It's beyond natural. And you have to recognize and believe and release faith that that kind of love, again, is in you because Romans 5 says God's love, the God kind of love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. For this is the message, the announcement which you have heard from the first, that we should love one another and not be like Cain, who took his nature and got his motivation. See, who do you get your motivation from? Who took his motivation from the evil one and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Because his deeds and activities and works were wicked and malicious, but his brothers were righteous and more virtuous. Verse 13, do not be surprised and wonder, brethren, that the world tests you or pursues you with hatred. Verse 14, again, I read last week, but it's so, so powerful. We know the way you know, <laughs> the way you know that you passed over out of death into life with a capital L is by the fact that we love the brethren, our fellow Christians. He who does not love abides, remains, is held and kept continually in spiritual death. I know I spoke to this last week, but do you, do you really hear what that's saying? One step out of love, holding on to strife or ill will, is a step out of God's kingdom. And you put yourself into the only other kingdom there is, which is the kingdom of darkness. And he says, when you make that choice to stay out of love, to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to unforgiveness, I'm just, I'm just stay resentful, always seeking problems, always trying to, you know, whatever, complain about somebody else. He says, you, you, under, you need to understand this. You're being held in a place of spiritual death. And, of course, death, again, in the Bible does not mean to cease to exist. It always means separation. It speaks that you are separating yourself from the presence of God. You put distance between you and heaven. Why would any of us want to do that? Verse 15, anyone who hates, and the word hate in Scripture means relative disregard. In other words, it doesn't mean that you hate, 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 like we think in the English term. It just means to... Consider someone else far beyond or beneath you. And, you know, you just look down on them. That's what it means. Anyone, I'll read it that way, who looks down or detests his brother in Christ is at heart a murderer. Think, you know, even that. See, think of the depth that God says, as far as heaven is concerned, to have enmity and hatred in your heart towards somebody, you are equal to a murderer. 
Now think about that. You would never consider that to be the same, but God does. Do you hear that? God puts that on the same level as if you took someone's life. My gosh, I mean, how serious is this? Anyone who hates or has relative disregard for his brother in Christ is at heart a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding and persevering within him. But it's by this that we come to know progressively to recognize and perceive, to understand <clears throat> this, this essential love that he laid down his own life for us, didn't he? he that's the crux of Christianity. He laid down his life. Did he have the right to hold on to his life? Yes, he surely did. But because he is the son of love for the salvation of others, he laid down his life, and it literally says here, and we ought to lay our lives down for those who are brothers in him. In other words, we need to have the same mind. Verse 17, but if anyone has this world's goods, resources for sustaining life, and sees his brother and fellow believer in need, and he closes his heart of compassion against him. How can the love of God live and remain in him? And this is, you know, this is just it. it God sees how we respond and react to others who are in need. You can't just close your heart to them because they do not meet your specifications. They don't come up, they don't meet the conditions that you have established that uh, allows them to be, as it were, uh, you know, available or have the capacity for you to help them. Remember, God justifies the ungodly. Our God is so good that love justified ungodly people. They weren't godly and therefore I justify you. No, he didn't wait for that. He knew that it was his love that was going to change them. It's like fish, you know, the old, old illustration. You don't clean fish before you catch them. You catch them and then you clean them. Well, this is God's wisdom. You see, you don't wait for somebody to get right before you help them. You, it's like we learned years ago. You learn to minister to people's felt needs so that you can have the opportunity to get to their real need, which is Jesus Christ. So you have to catch that. You have to look beyond people's fragmentation. You have to look beyond people's faults. I mean, and, and yeah, I know it's not easy because we are so quick to judge after the flesh. But that's literally the opposite of what God asks us to do. We once knew Christ Jesus after the flesh, but henceforth know we know man after the flesh. Think about being able to say that, that you've got that revelation in your spirit. Verse 17 again, but if anyone has this world's goods, resources for sustaining life, and sees his brother and fellow believer in need, yet closes his heart of compassion against him, how can the love of God live and remain in him? Verse 18, little children, let us not love merely in theory or in speech, but in deed. Let the love of God in you produce deeds. But... Let us not, or let me read it again. Little children, let us not love merely in theory or in speech, but in, 
Little children, let us not love merely in theory or in speech, but in deed and in truth and in practice and in sincerity. By this, this is, uh, this is a passage of scripture, these next few verses that really would need a whole nother time of ministry, of, you know, of instruction. But he says, by this, in other words, by having this sense of walking in the compassion of Christ, when you see people the way he sees people, he said, it's by this, and I'm talking, if you could allow me, it's by having this spirit, the one that dictates to you the most or prompts you the most, by this we shall come to know, to perceive, to recognize and understand that we're of the truth. Think about that statement. The way you know that you're actually of the truth is because what will transpire when you find yourself loving like God loves. That's how you begin to realize I'm of the truth because the truth is love, right? And love is the truth. By this we shall come to know, perceive, recognize, and understand that we are of the truth and can reassure and quiet and conciliate and pacify our hearts in his presence. Whenever our hearts, there's a comma there, let me read it again. By this we shall come to know that we are of the truth and we can reassure and quiet and conciliate and pacify our hearts in his presence whenever our hearts in tormenting self-accusation make us feel guilty and condemn us. In other words, when your heart starts saying, nah, the revelation of the truth is what will say, yeah, and set it out, I'm okay. And he says this, for God, for we are in God's hands, for he is above and greater than our consciences, our hearts. And he knows and perceives and understands everything. Nothing is hidden from him. And beloved, verse 21, if our consciences, our hearts do not accuse us, if they do not make us feel guilty and condemn us, we have confidence, complete assurance and boldness before God. And look how it affects your prayer life. And we receive from him whatever we ask. In other words, you see the correlation? If your heart condemns you, there won't be, as it were, a pure line of speech between you and heaven. Something, again, is detoured. Something is blocked because your heart's still condemning you. But he says it all comes back to this revelation of love. Love is what will quiet your heart. And our hearts often need to be quieted, our conscience, because your conscience will rise up and condemn you. But when the truth of God, which lives in your spirit, continues to show you, I am walking in the love of God. To the best of my ability, I'm not perfect, but I'm walking in the love of God. That's what brings peace to your inner man. And we receive, verse 22, from him whatever we ask, because we watchfully obey his orders we observe his suggestions. I like it that it says suggestions. We observe his suggestions and injunctions and we follow his plan for us and we habitually practice what is pleasing to him. So many times in scripture, I like the Amplified for that. It talks about the fact that this is something that's progressive. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to walk perfectly in the love of God and walk perfectly in the love of God. No, it's something that becomes a habit because you practice it. 
In other words, you'll run, you fall down, but you pick yourself back up. You get angry, but you say, no, I'm not going to stay angry, and you pick yourself back up. You wind up exercising yourself. Remember, Timothy talks about how, how you know, bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all men. And see, you, you train yourself towards godliness. You practice it. This is why you don't get condemned when you miss it, because everybody misses it. But again, what happens is you learn to be, I keep saying, lightning fast to come back to the thing of God, come back to the truth of God. Read 22 again. And we receive from him whatever we ask because we watchfully obey his orders. We observe his suggestions and injunctions and we follow his plan for us and habitually practice what is pleasing to him. And this is his order, his command, his injunction that we should believe in, put our faith in, trust in, and adhere to, and rely on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that we should love one another just as, just as, just as he loved us. Hallelujah. And I mean, that, that's what it all comes down to. We love even as he loved. And we know that he loved us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That means, guess what? I get to love you while you're still making mistakes and you get to love me while I still make mistakes. Nobody is perfect, maybe except my wife. She's pretty close to perfect. Hallelujah. Now I want you to turn to Galatians 5 and see again what Paul says here. In Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to start here at, let me see where I want to start. Um, well, I'm going to start in verse 7, Galatians 5, verse 7, and we'll go all the way down to verse 15. You were running the race nobly. He's speaking to the people in Galatia because they've given, they've found themselves wanting to be back under the law again. The, the whole issue is there's people that are Judaizers have come in and said, you still must be circumcised no matter what. And Paul says in a moment, you know, that doesn't mean anything anymore. So let me read from verse 7. Actually, I'll read from verse 6. For if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Now think, this, see, this, that's putting an axe to the root of the tree. In other words, that's something that all of Israel since Moses, you know, this is the, I mean, since Abraham, this is a holy, holy, holy tradition in the Israeli camp, to say the least. It's just what, it's what proves you're in covenant with Almighty God, that you're part of Abraham's lineage. And now, because of the grace, the free gift of righteousness, I was meditating on that this morning. My gosh, those who have received the free gift of right standing with God shall reign in this life by one Christ Jesus. Amazing. And the abundance of grace, it says, and receive the abundance of grace. But now watch. He says, for if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And again, this blew their minds. But he says, the only thing that counts is faith. What is your faith? It's what you believe. And faith can also be what promotes, again, good works. But only faith, which is activated, energized, expressed, and working through love. He said, far beyond this token of covenant entrance into God's ways, far more, far deeper, 
far more. And it's out of beyond all comparison again. It has nothing to do with that physical act anymore. He said, "Is it's, it's your faith that's expressed through love. How do you express your faith? Through love. In other words, you, you don't angrily try to preach people into the kingdom. Verse 7, you were running the race nobly. Who has interfered and hindered and stopped you from your heeding and following the truth? This evil persuasion is not from him who called you, who invited you to freedom in Christ. Remember verse 9, just a little leaven, just a slight inclination to error, or a few false teachers can leaven the whole lump. Listen to this. It perverts the whole conception of faith or misleads the whole church. The entire body of Christ can be misled by just a little bit of leaven. And how do you keep leaven out of your life? That stuff which grows and expands and causes something to get bigger. By understanding the truth, and the truth here is, again, God's love is the issue. Are you doing what you're doing because of the love of God? What is your motivation? If you're trying to deceive people, many people do good works because their ego is involved. They want to be seen by men. And we know what Jesus said about that. Don't do anything to be seen by men. But often there's that seed of that in people. If I do this, I'll be recognized a little bit more. You see, and that's not God. Again, you know, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but it's so profound when Jesus, literally it says that Jesus esteemed others more than himself. And we're to follow him. He gave no interest to his own needs, but only to the needs of others. That's what the scripture says. He did not give himself to his own interests. And see, for Rod to be truly mature, because love is the greatest, greatest explosion of spiritual maturity there is, Rod needs to be to the place where I give more thought to your interests than I do to mine. That's why I say this message of the love walk is far beyond what a lot of people realize, because it's that which causes the greatest, greatest, greatest discipline to be necessary, because it goes totally against the human nature that wants to seek things for themselves. A little leaven, a slight inclination to error, or a few false teachers leavens the whole lump. It perverts the whole conception of faith or misleads the whole church. For my part, I have confidence towards you in the Lord that you will take no contrary view of the matter, but will come to think with me. But he who is unsettling you, in other words, these Judaizers who'd come into the province of Galatia, whoever he is, they'll have to bear the penalty. But brethren, if I still preach circumcision as some accuse me of doing as necessary to salvation, why am I still suffering persecution? In that case, the cross has ceased to be a stumbling block and is made meaningless, done away with. This next verse is considered by theologians to be the strongest verse in all of Scripture. He says, I'll let you figure out what it means. He said, I wish those who unsettle and confuse you would, would go all the way and cut themselves off. Listen to now 13 through. For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom, Right? You've been called to freedom through the blood of Christ. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh or an opportunity or excuse for selfishness. But again, but through love, he just keeps hammering it all through his epistles. But through love, you should serve one another. 
Jesus, Last Supper, washing the feet of the disciples, saying, you see what I've done? This is the example I'm leaving you. If I am your Lord and Master and I've done this, you ought to do this to one another. We're called to serve people, not to master them. The only thing that's called to master, remember, is Romans 12, 21, master evil with good. Again, for you, brethren, we're indeed called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh, an incentive to your flesh, <laughs> or an opportunity or an excuse for selfishness. But through love, you should serve one another. And here's another verse that says what we've preached already. For the whole law, the whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in the one precept, you shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. But here's where he really talks about strife. But verse 15, if you bite, and that's what strife is like. It's like you, you don't realize it, but you're biting at somebody's spirit. But, it, but if you bite and devour one another in strife, be careful, be careful that you and your whole fellowship are not consumed by one another. Now, we're going to read some verses in Proverbs in a little while. But if I, again, get ahead of myself, he talks about in one place, see how mighty a great forest fire, just one little spark can begin or can start. Now, do you hear what he's saying, though? If you don't learn how to kill strife quick, he said, literally, your whole fellowship can be consumed because, again, hell will take advantage of that fleshliness. Verse 16, but I say... Walk and live habitually, habitually practicing. But I say walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit. Learn to be responsive to, controlled, guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the, the cravings and the desires of flesh, of human nature without God. Now, we could go on because, again, this is a powerful place of teaching. But that's enough. But I want you to catch that. He said, strife, just a little bit of strife. If it's not dealt with, he said, be careful. Be careful. If it can consume an entire congregation, then it can consume your family. It can consume your business and whatever. This is why God told me all those years ago, kill strife at any cost. And normally the cost is to you. And that sometimes means you say yes to a situation. I don't see this is something that I, pro I need to get far more explanation to, and I, I will do my best later. But, you know, it's the situation where, you know, be quick to come into agreement with your accuser, lest you be thrown into prison. It, it means to, you know, just do what you can do. Do what you need to do to quell strife. And sometimes that means looking at somebody and saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Quite honestly, when you actually weren't wrong. You say, how can I do that? Well, you can do it because it's in Scripture. We'll show some later. Like I said, not today, but later on in the further sessions. To be able to look at somebody who's railing at you, calling you names and everything. Remember the Bible says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And this is why he said, be controlled, be controlled. By the Holy Spirit, just say, no, I'm not going to rail back. I'm, I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to enter into a shouting match. No, no, no. 
because I need to watch over my spirit. I cannot help where somebody else has a fracture in their spirit. But I need to do the best for mine because only it's like, again, the principle of before you try to take the splendor out of somebody else's eye, make sure you take the beam out of your own eye. And it says, so that you can see clearly to take the splendor out of somebody else's eye. In other words, you deal with you before you're ever able to deal with somebody else really well. This is why, again, this book is a letter. A lot of people, there's a scripture where Paul says, I thank God that you've made me a minister of the spirit of the word and not the letter. He said, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And years ago, I asked the Lord, what's that really mean? He said, well, let me give you one example. And he said this to me. He said, if you read this scripture and you're quick to apply it to someone else, and then we're just saying, wow, that's where this guy's wrong. He said, that's the letter, and it'll produce death in you. He said, this book's written to you. You hear me? He said, this letter is written to you. You got to look at you. You're not, you know, not to get made guilty like we just read back there in First John. No, no, no. It's not about having guilt. It's about being honest before God and saying, I don't want this in my spirit. And suddenly you have greater clarity and you have greater wisdom. You'll have the words to speak to somebody as whereas before you wouldn't. Because why? Because you're honest with yourself. That's what allows you to have power with others. Now watch this again. Uh, uh, well, anyhow, that's where we're going to stop at that. But now I'm just going to read some of the Proverbs, like I said, just some of them. And again, this is Proverbs 17, 14. Again, I, I pray that these are very familiar to you. But I want you to remember this. This is God's, God's. This is God's truth. God's truth is anointed. Anointings break chains off of situations. You have to really train yourself to not just read a verse mentally. That's why the Lord had me years ago. He just caused me to go into deep training to read the scripture slowly, word for word, slowly, and to read them aloud so that my ears could hear my mouth speaking God's word because faith comes by hearing. In other words, he taught me, as I've shared before, you know, because you don't realize it, but you find yourself skimming the word. You know, it's like you think you're doing good because of how much word you read in an hour. Maybe it's not, you know, I've sometimes camped on two verses for an entire hour because that's what the Spirit of God was ministering to me. But listen to this first one, Proverbs 17, 14. Again, all these are in the Amplified Bible, and they're so simple. You know, these are the Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon. The beginning of strife, the beginning, how does it begin? The beginning of strife is as when water first trickles from a crack in a dam. You can all see that picture. It's as when water first trickles from a dam. Therefore, stop contention, which is another word for strife or debate and argumentation. Therefore, stop contention before it becomes worse and quarreling breaks out. Whose responsibility is it to stop it? You. And I'm going to keep saying this. Someone else might want to continue to be angry. You can't do anything necessarily about that. But you have control and responsibility for your own spirit. And as for you, I'm not going to do it. 
You know what I mean? You just learn to make that inner, that it's in your heart. Because if you say it out loud, a lot of you know, the people that are uh, angry at you often just get more angry. But think about that. The beginning of strife, he said, it's just like when water first trickles. It doesn't seem to be anything. It's no big deal. Just a little trickle, giant dam, all kinds of billions of gallons of water behind it. No big deal. Just a little trickle. But he said, that's how it starts. So what, do you, what does that mean? That means learn to recognize just a little trickle. Okay? Proverbs 13.10. Now this, to me, is one of the most powerful passages because what it's going to speak to back in Galatians. I mean, in 1 Peter. Proverbs 13.10 says, only. And if you're out there reading, I wish I'd like you to say that word only about four times. Only. Only by pride comes contention. If there's strife, there's pride. You hear me? If there's strife, there's pride. I said, if there's strife, there's pride. But with the well-advised wisdom. Now, why is that so important? Turn to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Excuse me, it's going to take me a minute here to go through these pages. First Peter. Okay, first Peter five. Now watch this. This is this is what God boy, I mean he when I first really started being taught this by the Spirit of God, man it hit me. I'm gonna start in verse five. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders, the ministers, and the spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel. But then this next phrase, clothe apron, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Put on humility. Clothe yourself with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you. I mean, you've got to button down humility tight, man, so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you with freedom from what? Freedom from pride, freedom from arrogance toward one another. Why? For God sets himself against the proud. This is heavy, man. Only by pride comes contention. Where there's pride, where there's strife, there's pride rather. Watch this. Look what it says. For God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. And he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them. But he gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourself in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. And what the Lord ministered to me all those years ago, he said, son, do you really hear that? When you allow anger to remain, when you allow yourself to stay upset at somebody, and maybe it's justly so, they did you wrong. See, the issue isn't whether or not somebody else did you wrong. The issue is your response before God. And it said, do you realize that if you want to hold on to strife and ill will, I see that as pride. Do you understand? This is pride. And do you hear what my, my servant Peter said? 
God, me, I, God, I am put in a position where I have to resist you. Think about that. In other words, he said, I have to resist you. I have to resist you. And he said, I'll frustrate you. You know, the you'll be frustrated. In other words, it hit me that you see again, here I am in prayer, wanting to pray for my daughter, pray for my son, maybe for their healing or pray for my business, pray for whatever it is. But I've got enmity in my heart. I've got this strife. I'm angry. I've got unforgiveness. Bless God. I'm simply not going to. I cannot forgive them for what they did to me. Well, you can hold on to that if you want to. But the Lord showed me a picture of his great love. And I saw him as it were in heaven with tears in his eyes and his head turned aside and his strong arm out like this. And he was resisting my prayers because he had to. Because it's his covenant. He said, I can't. Don't you understand? Stop this. Stop the unforgiveness. Stop the pride. Stop the anger in your heart. Don't you understand? You put me into position where I have to resist you. And I don't want to resist you. I want to bless you. But it's you and I that make the decision. And again, what if, well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what God did for you. People always have that kind of excuse. You, do, I, you don't understand how much it hurt. You know what? You don't understand how much it hurt Christ to go on the cross. He redeemed us from that, and he's given us these instructions for a good and for a benefit. And again, this is why I think the love walk is still the most powerful message on the planet, because it deals with every other. You can teach about prayer, fine. You can know all the precepts of prayer. But you keep this stuff in your heart, your prayer. I don't care how professional you are at prayer and how well you can link scriptures together. It ain't going nowhere if you got stuff in your heart that's nasty. Hear what I mean? You can give everything. You know what the word says. You can give all your money, blah, blah, blah. You can be the best giver in the church and really think that's something. But you got empty unforgiveness in your heart. You're giving. You may as well stay in your pocket. You may as well throw it down the toilet. Think about that. You can have faith to remove mountains, remember? You can have, man, I'm telling you, the anointing comes on me and I can speak and pray over this, bam, whatever. And the Bible says you're still a useless nobody if there's not love in you. See, you got to put the horse in front of the cart and not the cart in front of the horse. You've got to see what's priority in the heart of God. Only... Only by pride comes contention and strife. God resists the proud and they suffer frustration and defeat. How powerful is that? Hallelujah. Now the next one, Proverbs, I'll stop here. We've got, I think, three more scriptures or four. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. Here again, it's a discipline that you work with and work with and work with. He that is slow to anger. You know how the scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Be angry and sin not. I love the truth of that. Thank God he put that verse in there. See, you can get angry, but because you don't stay angry, it's not sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. Think on that one. But listen to it again. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeareth strife. So that takes training. 
I sadly was, you know, because of my sad blood and guts testimony, being in the penitentiary and at a time in the California penal system when they were taking a dead man out a week, like I said, I was in the middle of so much violence and blood and stuff. <sighs> Anger sometimes was that which kept me alive. And that's a horrible thing, you know, to, to admit. But this is why, you know, when I came to Christ, this is why I know God dealt with me so strongly and still does, of course. I'm far from a perfect man. I am far, far, far. You can ask my wife, but please don't ask her, as I always say. But I'm far, far, far from a perfect man. But you have no idea how far I've come. You have no idea. You did not know me, B.C., you know, before Christ. Thank God you didn't. That was all I can say. I've had to train myself to be slow to anger. Next verse, Proverbs 16, 28. A froward man, that just means somebody that's always got to speak his own stuff. A froward man sows strife, and a whisperer separates chief friends. And we all know that, gossip, you know what I mean? Like I said, we could, always, we could do an entire message on this. But think, this, here again, this is God's truth that's anointed coming to us. A whisperer. See, God hears everything. Remember what that one scripture says? What you say in secret in your bedroom will be shouted from the rooftops. He knows. Next one, Proverbs 26, verses 20 and 21. Now, this is a deep revelation. Everybody say deep revelation. I mean, this is deep. I mean, this is deep. I mean, this is so deep. I mean, you probably need a doctorate to really capture this. Do you hear me, Anthony? You're going to need a doctorate for this. Doctorate for this. Listen to this first part. Where no wood is, the fire goes out. What do you think about that? Is that deep or what? Wow. Wow. Where no wood is, the fire goes out. Even John Vinsel can understand that one. Hallelujah. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. See, now let me keep reading it. So where there is no tailbearer, somebody that keeps gossiping and telling the story, the strife ceases and stops. As coals are to burn coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Some people just like to keep the issue going, man. I mean, they like to keep the issue going. But see, you know what? Do you see how powerful and how simple this is? You know how to kill strife? One of the major ways to kill strife? Quit throwing Wood on the fire. <laughs> Quit adding to it. Isn't that simple? Like I said, you need, do you really need a deep revelation to catch this? Has God made this too complicated and too difficult for us to grasp? Is what you're about to say going to throw wood on something? So you have to ask yourself, is what I'm about to say going to cause a greater problem to exist? Or am I going to help to stop it by just keeping my mouth shut? Hallelujah. My final verse I'll read this morning is Proverbs 20, verse 3. God says, it's an honor. Say honor. It's an honor for a man to cease from strife. But every fool will be meddling. Think about that statement. See, see it from that vantage point. When I stop my want, when I want to react, when I want to rail back, when I want to get even, 
or I want to hold on to this unforgiveness, when I want to stay bitter, catch the fact that when you say no to all that, it's an honor. You've just allowed, God's been honored and glorified. You see, man, you've got to really hear that. It's an honor for you to, to cease from it. It's an honor. God and heaven sees that as an honorable thing. You've just shown yourself honorable to heaven because I'm not going to enter into it. So I close with this statement again. You learn to refuse strife at all costs. I don't care what it is. And it'll cost you many, 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 many times, particularly if you deal with a lot of people. Because where there's people, there's argumentation, there's differences, there's divisions, there's debate. But see, you don't have to be a part of it. You can speak your mind, you can be used to counsel, you can share, but again, you've got to, you know, you got to be aware not everybody's going to see things the way you see them. So when other people get upset or what have you, you just, you need to know that's part of the journey. That happens because that's human nature. But remember, we have imparted to us God's divine nature. But I love it how it says in Peter, but you need to learn to be a partaker of that nature. In other words, that nature is in you, but you have to yield to it. Amen? Yield to it. So again, the scripture says, be careful because strife is like leaven. It can destroy an entire church, business, a marriage, Anything where God has demanded or God has rather commanded union through love, hell knows that strife is the easiest, easiest thing. Just gets you in disagreement. Now, even that, let me say, finish with it. I'm trying to finish. See, disagreement is okay. It's not that you can't disagree. It's just don't let your disagreement cause you to get anger or get into strife. In other words, like somebody said all those years ago, learn to disagree agreeably. Amen? Somebody say amen. Say amen, Anthony. Thank you, Anthony. Hallelujah. So, Father, I give you praise for your word this morning. And I do pray, Father, that the Holy Ghost himself causes this word to pierce the hearts of every listener, that it would be engraved, like you said, that the word of God would be engraved on the hearts of your people, that they might capture the power, the potency, and how profound this primary commandment of all commandments is that we learn how to love even as Christ loved us while we were yet dead in sins and trespasses and so much more. So, Father, we give you praise that your word is anointed and therefore does break bondages. And I pray, Father, that anyone and everyone under the sound of my voice, if they have that enmity, and many, many do, of course, if you have that stuff in your heart that right this minute you repent before God and say, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I reject that out of my spirit. I will not remain upset. I will not be resentful. I will not be angry because I've seen the truth that only by pride comes this. That means I'm prideful and you, I do not want to put myself in the position where you have to resist me I don't want you to resist me. So, Father, help me. And I pray for everyone again who hears me. Reject that opportunity to be upset and angry. 
reject that unforgiveness, say no to it, and begin to experience the peace of God that brings your heart to a place of quiet where you know that you know that you know that you're loved by God and that you're doing your best to love others like he loved us. I ask this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you.